Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, listeners. This is Annie here. G'day, Marcus. Oh, g'day, g'day, Annie, and morning to all the listeners out there. You, yeah, your, your coat has uh, dried off, but you walked in completely wet, so you... <laughs> yeah, it just started, it was pouring rain out there before, so... Yeah, that's pretty amazing considering the hot weather the we've been getting. Days, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, you're of course in Melbourne, but if it's a podcast, it doesn't really matter where you are. <laughs> and it's Saturday morning. Uh, the uh, dry, the uh, greasy heat's been uh, slain by some rain. And uh, IMAC, which was the big news this week, uh, the uh, uh, a blockade of the down at the Melbourne Convention Centre by demonstrators who wanted to uh, make it clear that uh, the uh, resources and mining industry is on notice that uh, they are considered to be uh, in uh, high level environment criminals, climate cr- uh, criminals. Uh, was met with uh, incredible levels of police uh, attention, and uh, on uh, they started on Monday very cheerful, cheerfully, but on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday the police uh, uh, attacked. I'd have to say attacked the uh, protesters, and today we're going to concentrate on that. Uh, with a report on uh, giving you an idea of what was happening on the Monday and then in the last half hour some uh, perspectives on the Wednesday afternoon and uh, later uh, after the police had done their uh, physical damage but not uh, undermining the uh, spirit of the people who were involved. And that's... Marcus, in this morning, uh, Morrison, our fearless leader, has decided that uh, we've got to have legislation, legislation <laughs> to remove the right of people to demonstrate. And as he says, as he's reported to say in The Age, now we will take our time to get this right. We will do the homework and we're doing the right now. And uh, we must protect our economy from this great threat now, um, we'll probably hear a bit more about that from Kevin. And he said he's there, sick and tired of protesters. Well, guess what, Scott Morrison? We're, we're sick and tired of you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, we'll uh, go to our first report. This is what was happening on Monday. $1,000 suits to a million or billion dollar deals who are gathering here today to talk about, well, to talk about all sorts of stuff. There's an investment stream, there's a mining for non-miner stream. There's a social license to operate streams. And if you 
you uh, read the reports of accounting company Ernst & Young, the social licence to operate is the main challenge facing the mining industry worldwide. You can translate that as everyone knows their shit. Everyone knows they steal indigenous land. Everyone knows that the companies here like Glencore and BHP have seen black lung reintroduced into their coal mines in, uh, up in Queensland. A totally preventable disease. All you need to do is keep the dust down and BHP and Glencore are too preoccupied on making money to do even that. Coal miners are dying, agonising deaths, because these bastards can't be bothered spending the money to keep them safe. And the money, of course, is profits that they're you know, laying in hand over fist from fueling runaway climate change. So anyway, we know all the reasons that we're here. Um, you know, I want sort of blah continuously, but I reckon we may as well keep it a little bit lively. We're not doing a hard blockade, you know. At least all the thousand dollar suits have to do a bit of a, oh, oh, oh what's happening, do a bit of a dodge around, that's fine. But we may as well keep it just a little bit lively. Um, and one thing that pretty much all of these companies have in common is stealing indigenous land. Whether that's the land of the Wayu people in Colombia, where BHP, Lencore and Anglo-American have their massive mine. Half a billion tonnes of coal they're ripped out of that mine and still two-thirds of that province live in poverty. Whether it's the Indonesian indigenous people that Newcrest in their Tokarachi mine, twice in 2004 and 2013, Newcrest, the world's sixth biggest gold miner, have called the mobile brigades one of the most notorious armed brigades of the Indonesian police force to put down indigenous protests outside their Togarachi gold mine. And on both of those occasions, there's been fatalities. As in, I shouldn't use euphemisms, on both occasions, the mobile brigade has shot dead protesting indigenous uh, uh, people against the effects of gold mining on their land in Indonesia. Companies like Resolute Mining, who are represented here, have done a, a, a really good bit of business in Mali, where in 2004, there was a whole lot of slaughter going on against local protesters because the story's the same the world over. These companies promise the world to these people. They say your life will be transformed from this gold mine, from this copper mine, from this coal mine. And the only things that happen is that the wealth piles up at the top end of Collins Street, the death piles up for the workers working in that mine, and the theft of land, the poisoning of land and water, pile up for the indigenous people whose land that is. That's the story that we you know, that keeps on being told in here. These people have a special uh, session on Wednesday morning on the social license to operate. There are eight companies, eight different companies, speaking on that session on the social license to operate. Every single one of those companies has either killed someone or busted a union, or in most cases actually both in the last few years. These are the companies that this conference puts on as you know, poster child for this is the way the mining industry should go. So we know all of that. And I don't know whether people saw the Herald Sun today. I don't know whether people saw the Herald Sun. I've got a copy handy. The headline is um, Ugly Protests Loom. Now just to show you, we look gorgeous. Like we're, they're the ugly ones, they're the profiteers from climate change and genocide. We're the ones raising our voices 
and tomorrow morning in larger numbers we'll be linking our arms and we'll be doing what we can to obstruct access to this building and to this conference and to shut it down. And a chant that just reminds us of what we're here for, why we're here and what we're here to do. Land rights, not mining rights. Shut, I mark down. Land rights, not mining rights. The police presence here is quite interesting. There's at least uh, 20 ordinary cops, but uh, there's a whole range of uh, special incident uh, squads here, with, all armed with tasers. They've all got tasers and batons. They're obviously interested in uh, potential action. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, they've also been uh, filming the uh, groups of people out the front. So there you go. Tell me why you're here today. We're here today denouncing the mining in, in all the world because they're doing a lot of damage to the earth, they're doing a lot of damage to indigenous communities, and especially they are in the breach of the collapse of the world because of this exploitation of the natural resources. So that's why we're here. And it's particularly uh, in Australia, but also South America, right? Yeah, also all around the world, and especially in, in, the, in the South, in Latin America, where the big mining corporations like BHP, Rio Tinto, Oceana Gold, all are trying to exploit in the resources in, in Latin America, especially in Colombia, in Chile, in Peru, in Mexico. So it's a lot of stuff that happening over there, and especially now, because the main cause of the eruption or the explosion of the social explosion in Chile is because of this extractivist model of, of economic that is, was imposed in most of Latin America. That's why everybody needs to understand what happened in Chile today. It's a response of this, of this way of developing the countries. And I want them to know that there's a lot of people who think that they're destroying the planet, which is what they're doing. And to send a message to Daniel Andrews and the Labour government to say shame on them for allowing these criminals to come to our city. And I think, you know, the more people that can get down here during the week, the better. Tomorrow will be the big day, really, but, yeah. Uh, did that uh, stuff about them having sessions about sustainable and clean mining? Yeah, I mean, it's a joke, isn't it? I, I just think that, you know, the, the grip of the fossil fuels industries and the sort of, the way that they're so, so deeply interconnected, um, just with all of the kind of corporations that do all sorts of things that you think are probably sort of benign, but actually when you start to investigate the links between them, you know, I, I think it would be very difficult to imagine capitalism without fossil fuels. So, you know, people who want to radically change the system make the argument, as I would, that, you know, we need to start to dismantle all of those connections and those connections that they have with the people who, who control you know, the forces of the state, the people like the police who've come out in number already this morning. With their tasers. With their tasers and pepper spray, you know, ready to defend um, the corporate criminals and to basically punish people who just want to democratically assert their objection to this disgusting jamboree. Thanks.
can you tell me why you're here? Why it's important you uh, come down here? Yes, uh, it's important because I'm just. Uh, uh, which, which, uh, I'm from TCR. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm here to just uh, against the companies really mining in Eritrea. Yeah. I'm representing the Eritrean community, so we, we're here to express our rage against these companies, especially the Dankali company, which is a, some Australian companies have been involved in mining because our communities have been displaced, and also the the government is using slave labor in Eritrea just to you know to. Uh, using slave labor in the companies, so uh, we need this is a blood money that we like these companies to stop, uh, especially being Australian companies as well. Yeah. That's why we're trying to, against the Dankali and also another company which is a uh, Chile, uh, I think they call it, uh, or yeah, a gold company mining in, uh, in Eritrea. So that's why I just want to express that to stop mining because this is destroying our Aboriginal communities over there, the indigenous communities in Eritrea. And also, people have been exposed because the government is really in Eritrea. Uh, people uh, age 18 to 50 are, are forced to go for indefinite uh, uh, national service. Used to be only 18 months, but had been extended the last uh, 28 years. Have been uh, for, for going for indefinite period. So these people, livelihood. That's why we have got the influx of refugees to Sudan and to Europe from Eritrea. Eritrea is only a small country, which is only five million, but it's second to Syria in, in terms of refugees. So this is because of the, the situation in Eritrea, the government, the dictator in Eritrea, Isaiah Safwerki, there is no election in Eritrea, there is no freedom of speech, it's the worst. It's the express that it's a, it's a, it's a, Korea, it's a uh, North Korean, an Af African North Korea, it's expressed because no freedom in Eritrea, no freedom of speech, and also even ministers since 19, 2001, people have been in, uh, in jail all, all this year, yeah, for all these years, and they don't know their whereabouts. They don't know if they are alive or dead. So, and even the record uh, of Eritrea and human rights speaks for itself. Uh, but we just like here, we came here to express against the Australian government, especially uh, Australian companies, really mining in Eritrea uh, and exploiting our people because the government using slave labor, and uh, we need them to stop stop this blood money. That's why here. Can you tell me why you're here? I'm from 3CR. Oh because the companies represented at the International Mining Conference have been responsible for 80% of global emissions in human history, carbon emissions, and because we need to provide opposition to what they're doing, which is destroying a viable, habitable future for all of us. It's interesting because we're out the front and they're all in suits uh, in nice, comfortable uh, convention centre, you know, it's all very expensive and all the rest of it. It's quite clear that uh, they're, pro they're in a protected space. That's right, the police are here protecting them. They're not here for the people of Victoria, they're here for the corporations. G'day, can I talk to you about why you're here? Um, I'm, uh, I'm Pora, West Popon activist, and I did my honours in petroleum engineering. So I've been to BP, Bintuni, West Papua, Petrochina, Petrogas, and you know, as um, BP Exploration is one of the mining participants here at the IMARC. So I was there. I, I experienced discriminations. I've seen my West Papuan people die in oil rigs. So I want to stand up with my people. I want to be the voice. I want to share what I experienced with this. Um, corporate criminals and what they've done in West Papua, you know. Why you're here and what's the, why this is so important to you? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm here uh, just doing elder care, so I brought Jumper Jimper here um, and I guess my role really is just to make sure that he's okay um, and bring him here so he can practice his ceremony, his Napa Chukupa. Um, 
and it's really important uh, to bring that here. Like he's flown over from Yundamu, he's a Walpuri man, and um, yeah, it's it's his country that we're fighting for, and it's and it's um, mining on all indigenous lands that we're fighting to stop. Um, so yeah, he's here um, just to spread that message and bring his culture out here because um, he's come all the way from Northern Territory hasn't he? Yeah he's come from the Northern Territory. But he probably doesn't call it the Northern Territory, he probably calls it his country something else. Yeah, um, Yundamu, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you come from up there? No, I'm from Melbourne um, and when I heard this was happening um, I thought I'll call him and let him know that it's going on um, and figure out a way to get him down here um, and any other elders I know that I have the capacity to bring here. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks. <laughs> Being a major donor to all this militarism in West Papua and I want to fight for that. I want to fight for our land rights and justice and self-determination of West Papua people. Will you tell me what you're doing here? I'm, I'm Mikey. Yeah. A rain dreaming, a jogurba, ngapa jogurba. We call it rain dreaming. Uh, that's my, that's my dream. Yeah. So uh, I'm doing it so that I can uh, put stuff on it, make it look. That's my jogurba. That's my dream. That's my total. And so, so is that going to uh, give? Uh, you're giving us a present, aren't you? Yes, but I want to, I want to talk about it first and tell it. Okay. Tell it so that people can understand what I'm what I'm here. What it is that you've got to give us in terms of thoughts and yes and living in life and good what, life. What, what it means for fracking, not to frack. Yeah. We want to. This is the message for fracking. Our, our dreaming is so precious, so special, and this this uh, rain dreaming tukorpa is. It's very, very, very special. I want to, um, I'm with these people. I want to stop the IMAC because they are environmental vendors. Uh, they're not for the environment. So what they're doing here is just greenwashing, really. And we are here to expose them. Can I ask you why you're here? I know I noticed you've got a United Voice T-shirt on, so you're a yeah, member. So I'm a uh, member of the uh, National Union of Workers, who are joining with United Voice to become a huge union for Australian workers. So I suppose um, I come here with the mindset that uh, these corporations have got away with a lot of crap for too long, and now that our future is on the line, um, enough's enough. Really, got to uh, come out in numbers and show that we're not going to stand for it anymore. And also it, it, what I'm seeing here is that there's uh, a lot of uh, people, different types of people, uh, but lots of people from different uh, uh, backgrounds who've come, you know, from other countries who have settled in Australia and they've come here because they've been um, undermined by these uh, corporate interests in their own country. Uh, and then it comes to Australia, it's the message right is across the board, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm a Vietnamese Australian. You can see this is one of the most culturally, ethnically diverse crowds that I've ever been a part of. And I think when we're talking about human rights, when we're talking about access to water, um, to food, to sovereignty, 
um, we've got a lot in common in terms of building solidarity and fighting the same groups, um, entities, corporations that are doing this to, to us collectively. Thanks. Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, actually we'll say this on, uh, I mean you've noticed as well that there's a, a large range of different people from different backgrounds here. It is, it's incredible. It's, it's uh, very joyful to see. I it think. is. I think so too. But obviously they're all affected and have actually yes. seen the effects of right. uh, rampant capitalism and mining yeah. and that uh, normalising mining and big business, yeah. using the police to uh, sh uh, shut down yeah. dissent, is actually uh, normalised and yeah. made to appear to be the way our society should operate. Yeah, it's, it's funny how when there's protests abroad they're seen as something to be celebrated but when it's here on local land it's very much a, uh, a horrible thing you know it's massive disruption or massive um, inconvenience and you think well this is how you make things change but it's very different from the days when they when those the s11 protests or the the anti-globalization protests it's uh, a very different range of people now you can see there's a mixture of very young and very old people and everyone in between very you know different races of people here it's incredible it's a very great thing to see it's almost like the old days of moomba celebrations they used to have <laughs> <laughs> so why did you come i think it's very important to come to these kinds of events there's lots of events to come to protests and it's one of those other things that you have to come to what about these uh, critical response uh team police with their uh tasers and their uh, canisters of... Uh... Well, I, I, I was surprised when they, used, when they did the um, Invasion Day rallies this year. I, they were, I was amazed at the volume of police that are on the, on the ground and around the side streets. And I just couldn't believe it. And I think this is just, a, just an extension of that. It's not as, it's not as many as, as the Invasion Day rallies, but still it's a force of intimidation and... Well, if you buy people tools, they like to do, use them. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. The demonstrators uh, have decided to do a walk around the uh, convention centre. Now they're moving up to the headquarters on Collins Street of ma major mining interests, and uh, they've taken up the road, and so that has caused the police to follow them with their big van for taking people away. We'll see what happens. I'll be back shortly. I'm from 3CR. Do you want to tell me why you're here? Oh, I just came down here to um, you know, help uh, blockade IMARC, um, the mining convention. Yeah, why? Why is it important? Uh, well, the mining companies are raping the planet, basically. So um, I just came down here to um, hear what people have to say and also just to offer support. Um, you know, against the coal miners, the copper miners, the gold miners, the uranium miners. Um, uh, yeah, just it's good. It's good people are here, and um, it's bad that the convention's on. Are you a bit frustrated that the government has governments? I mean, Victoria government was opened by a Victorian Minister of Resources. Uh, this IMARC event, and obviously places like uh, Adani has been supported financially by the. Uh, Queensland government, and you know this is only a tip of the iceberg. Uh, are you a bit frustrated that uh, governments seem to be? Oh, and they've also paid for using the police as private security here. 
Um, well, you know, mining's always been a cash cow, you know, a quarry Australia. So if you look at Australia's exports, I think 30% coal exports and 30% iron ore. So that's a huge chunk of the Australian economy's um, based on, you know, extractivism. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And the, you know, the, the governments just look at the mining industry as a cash cow, and they're not looking at the long-term consequences of uh, what these what these companies and um, and their impact is on the planet. Yeah. It's affecting your people over in Western Australia, of course. It, it has, because um, the ex-federal um, minister, Melissa Price, have gave the go-ahead for Yuleri and Andy the green light. So, yeah, so I'm just really a um, bit annoyed about the government and um, I'm very hurtful about our court case that we lost. It's been going, me and my family and other families, members, we've been fighting for this for over 40 years um, to keep uranium in the ground up in Yuleri and um, yeah, but we're still standing strong, um, yeah, just, uh, just hope it doesn't start mining on the next five years or two years, um, yeah, just leave it in the ground and I'm just really happy to meet a lot of um, young ones. Um, talking and doing blockades and that there and they told me if you ever want a blockade and you know if it goes ahead just give us a phone call. It's a good networking opportunity. Oh yeah, good network <laughs> when you've got phones and mobile phones and the bush line and whatever you want to call it, emails and that yeah. Now you were very unhappy about the court case. Um, but it doesn't take away the fact that you guys need to protect the country. So are you frustrated that the Western law and your law don't seem to be able to meet, except um, that the Western law is more based on greed? Um, I'm just really so... Um, really angry at what, what has happened, you know. Um, you know, it took me a while to... Um, you know, about the court case, we lost a court case against, um, yeah, and I'm really, really still feel devastated about, you know, it's just so terrible what they're going to do because we have a lot of sites um, out there on country. Um, like we do the one-month walk and that they uh, do a lot of cultural awareness with everyone who comes out to do the walk with us, um, even international people, you know. They got to learn, learn how um, how we live out on country and see our beautiful country. Um, yeah, so it's one of the reasons I want to do is um, start getting a group together, a rangers program going to look after country, especially all our rock holes, you know. And yeah, mining is terrible. Yo, peace. This is Rod Stars. What up? This is G1. This is DJ Illinois. And together we are Rebel, Rebel Diaz. And whenever we are here, we listen to 855 AM, 3CRD Digital, 3CR.org.au. You already know what it is. Free Radical Radio. Let's go. 3CR. Now it's where we draw the line. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right here. Schools out. Schools out.
to make a point. I think there's a deliberate element to people being arrested at these things. Uh, the first arrests of the rebellion are just starting. We, uh, we have two people locked on to what was the mobile stage. A massive climate crisis right, right now, now. Right here, right now, 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 right here, right now. You're listening to The School's Out radio broadcast by school-aged teenagers. Schools Out wants to put voices of young people concerned about climate change on radio. We'll interview young people involved in campaigns aiming to make governments declare a climate emergency. Stop denying the earth is dying. Stop denying the earth is dying. Stop denying the earth is dying. What can young people do to make governments declare a climate emergency? Getting out onto the street. Protesting. Protesting. Make your voices heard because otherwise nothing's going to happen and if you can't vote you really do have to get out on the streets. I think lots of people don't have a clear, concise opinion what they think about climate change but it's more pressuring our governments and surrounding ourselves with like-minded people and raising awareness to the problem. I think that's making a lot of difference obviously worldwide. Speak out, talk about it as you're doing, Yeah. make radio shows, talk to your MPs, write letters, send the email. Coming out, making ourselves heard, making political statements in the ways that we currently are. This is not a drill. My name is Greta Thunberg. We are living in the beginning of a mass extinction. Our climate is breaking down. Children like me are giving up their education to protest. But we can still fix this. You can still fix this. To survive, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. But this alone will not be enough. Lots of solutions are talked about. But what about a solution that is right in front of us? I'll let my friend George explain. There is a magic machine that sucks carbon out of the air, costs very little, and builds itself. It's called a tree. Mangroves, peat bogs, jungles, marshes, seabeds, kelp forests, swamps, coral reefs, they take carbon out of the air. Pretty cool, right? But only if we also leave fossil fuels in the ground. Here's the crazy part. Right now, we are ignoring them. We spend 1,000 times more on global fossil fuel subsidies than on natural-based solutions. Natural climate solutions get just 2% of all the money used on tackling climate breakdown. This is your money. It is your taxes and your savings. Even more crazy, right now, when we need nature the most, we're destroying it faster than ever. Up to 200 species are going extinct every single day. Much of the Arctic ice is gone. Most of our wild animals have gone. Much of our soil has gone. So what should we do? What should you do? It's simple. We need to protect, restore and fund. Protect. Tropical forests are being cut down at the rate of 30 football pitches a minute. Where nature is doing something vital, we must protect it. Restore. Much of our planet has been damaged. But nature can regenerate. Fund. We need to stop funding things that destroy nature and pay for things that help it. It is that simple. 
protect, restore, fund. Everything counts. What you do counts. I don't understand why there are world leaders that are not doing anything. Sea levels are rising and so are we. Sea levels are rising and so are we. We choose the leaders that we elect and I think that the pressures that we put on them from the bottom will you know, create change. I guess it's just getting out there and speaking about it. Exactly what we're doing now, taking a stand, being vocal, making sure we're talking about it constantly and just like keeping the pressure on. Push, push, push. <laughs> Young people can try and stand up and show that we as the next generation care enough about this issue and we want it to change. A short term option would be like, I feel like we need to bring a carbon tax back. That would help. That would, that would really make <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but it would help like people decide I'm not going to use my car today. I'm not going to do something with carbon. It would yeah. provide a much... It would, it would yeah. restrict people from... If, yeah, it would probably take down the numbers. It is when you do reach 18, you just vote. Mm. Vote in all of your council, like your small council elections, your state, the federal. It just shows that we have a voice, especially when you're under 18 and you don't legally have a voice. You do. You yeah. show that you're interested. And this is like, it's your future. It's not theirs. It's ours. Well, I think at the moment, I don't think we've been given much of a platform. So I think we're making our own platform. Mm. The fact that we have the ability to protest and like, and we are, so... Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, like, even with creating our own platform but also supporting other environmentalists and making sure that they don't feel like what they're doing is not being noticed and so just showing them that what mm. they are doing is being noticed and that we support them so they keep doing what they're doing. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up and change is coming whether you like it or not. Right here, right now, here, now, right here, right now, here, now, right here, right now. Moteoranga, Moteoranga, Tihe Mauriora, Tihe Mauriora, Te Pakanga,
back with Annie and Marcus on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got a, a call from uh, the you go ahead Marcus yeah this morning on Solidarity Breakfast we're joined by Rob Gardner from the Victorian Stable Workers Movement and he joins us today from uh, New Zealand thanks for joining us today Rob thanks Marcus and uh, good morning to your listeners so obviously uh, the racing industry has been under the close scrutiny in the media in recent weeks today we're going to look at the life and times of um, strappers and stable hands, and it's probably fair to say they're unrecognised and undervalued in, in the industry. Oh, absolutely, Marcus. Um, they're the, the unsung heroes of racing, and uh, you know the, the, the issue with the stable hands uh, and strappers uh, has been going on for, for, for many years, uh, and unfortunately the, uh, the industry um, is on a... Um, dive bomb to uh, the bottom of the uh, wages and conditions barrel um, to race down there to see who can undercut who. Um, there are some good trainers that pay award or just above award conditions. However, the rest uh, try and um, circumvent that by uh, any means they can. And currently, uh, Victoria, right now we're in the midst of the uh, Spring Race and Carnival on the Melbourne Cup weekend at the moment and all the glitz and glamour that goes with it, but below that, underneath the surface, lies a, a dark life of the life that confronts strappers. Yeah, look at uh, as I say, they're the lifeblood of the industry, besides the horses, um, and uh, you know the, the the hours that the, the stable staff put in uh, can can vary from anything from forty plus to fifty, sixty plus hours a week. Um, some are lucky enough to get their overtime payments. I uh, just had a message this morning, actually, from uh, from uh, one of my colleagues, um, Helen Grundy, who um, is my, one of my colleagues with stable workers. That uh, uh, there's a there's a stable hand who has worked in excess of 40 hours and will be lucky to get her overtime. So um, one of the one of the big contrasting aspects of stable work or stable employees' uh, wages is that um, anybody that's got 10, 15, 20-plus years' experience in the industry is only on a $1.29 per hour. Mm. That's right, a $1.29 per hour more than somebody who comes into the industry tomorrow with no experience whatsoever. 
Yeah, and there's, as you said, disparity in wages between the experienced stable hands and the newcomers to the industry. And so the, the wages of the stable workers are not linked, adequately linked to the skills required to handle a horse. No, that's right. And, and unfortunately, there's no real um, career path or skills development path in the industry. Um, there's no uh, skills recognition. Um, Racing Australia bought in uh, a minimum standard for stable hands to be uh, engaged or employed under. Um, it's basic handling, basic uh, OH&S skills uh, and the like. Um, but then nobody, unless you uh, go out on your own back and pay for it, there's no real um, skills progression. So hence there's no wage increase. Um, only your uh, uh, ACTU um, minimum wage increase per year that, uh, that gets affected um, is really the only wage increase that the stable hands uh, receive. And a few years ago career. there was a, a fair work inquiry into the racing industry. There was audits going on in stables in Victoria and New South Wales. I mean, did much change out of that? Oh, not really. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really love for, um, you know, in Victoria, I'd love for, for Trades Hall, the ACTU and the and the Ombudsman to uh, really um, go through the industry um, with a real fine tooth comb and and really clean it up in the sense of uh, of what what really does go on behind closed doors. Um, you know, I've also uh, been dealing with a, a guy who spent 15 years with a trainer, um, left that employment. Uh, and was being told that he'll get his his uh, holiday pay that he's owed. He'll get that on a weekly basis until uh, that runs out. And I said, well, what about your long service leave? And he says, oh, no, they're, they're not going to pay that. And I said, well, they, they have to. It's, it's, it's law that they've got to be paid. Um, so that's, that's another issue that we're dealing with, that um, trainers, um, and, and this is from prominent, you know, group one trainer, group one winning trainer, and, and you know, that's, that's the industry, and you know, if they can, they can, um, if they can circumvent paying you anything that you're entitled to, then they will, because it comes off their what they call their bottom line. However, you know, I don't see many trainers um, driving around in beat up old Hyundai's or Datsuns or anything like that. Um, you know, they're all driving to, to the races in uh, pretty good cars and have got pretty good. Uh, uh, Backing behind them, so yeah, uh, it's a dangerous industry, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, only 12-18 months ago, um, we've had a, a spate of uh, stable hands and track riders getting injured. Um, now, some of those there was uh, a death as well, hands, wasn't there? Oh, tra- uh, jockeys have been uh, or track riders have been killed um, just in the last in this year. Um, with the uh, what I'm sort of referring to was last last year uh, we had a stable hand got kicked in the face oh. um, just at, at Mornington, um, just in the morning at track work. Um, you know, she was hosing a horse and uh, uh, got kicked in the face and had to be airlifted to the, uh, to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. So, you know, the horses have got a mind of their own. They're a dangerous animal. The jockeys say, well, what other employment does a, an ambulance follow you around? Well, you know, that, that's right. An ambulance does follow the jockeys around, but ambulances don't follow the stable hands around, and they're with the horses a lot longer. You know, so take nothing away from what the jockeys do. Um, however, the stable hands and strappers are with the horses, uh, you know, 90% of the time, 
as opposed to the jockeys that get on them for you know one and a half, three minutes, depending on the, the length of the race. And currently, the job of a stable hand, as you mentioned before, it's described as unskilled labour. So uh, obviously, your union wants to see that reclassified and given some sort of uh, visit. Yeah, look, we, we, we'd like to see that it be reclassified as a as a um, as a profession. Um, given that you know not everybody can walk into a stable and do what um, many many people do uh, in the industry. Uh, you well, know, I'm telling you again, now, Rob, I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, um, it, it, it is. It, look, horses are especially race horses. Any horse can be a fickle thing, um, but race horses—they're they're highly strung athletes. Um, you know, they're 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 bred to run. Um, they're bred to compete, um, and that's that's one of the attractions that bring a lot of people in to the industry is is the the athleticism of these these animals, and they're beautiful animals. They, you know. Um, and that's that's what they're bred for, um, and they are treated like absolute gods. You know, the the the, the recent media with the abattoirs and and whatnot um, really shines a light on on many years after racing. However, you know, these horses while they're racing, and uh, a lot of the stable staff, and this is part of the problem, is a lot of the stable staff take on a lot of these race horses. Um, and the the seven thirty report on the ABC showed horses that were sold on and on and on and on. So therefore, the tracking of those horses, you know, can't be can't be held back to the to the racing industry. But you know, stable hands they 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 get these horses after racing and they give them a fantastic life, dressage or just leisure riding or cross country. Um, and you know, they they they're still treated like absolute gods even after racing. They're loved. By many, and the thoroughbred racing industry contributes more than five billion dollars annually to Australia's economy, and more than two billion here in Victoria alone. And these days, there's added pressure on the stable hands with racing seven days a week, night racing these days. Yeah, look, uh, you know, OH and S in, in the industry um, leaves a li- little bit to be desired. Um, you know, with, with, especially at this time of year where there's you know, when, once the twilight night racing comes in. Um, you know, you can go to, to let's talk about Mooney Valley on a Friday night. You go to Mooney Valley if you're in the last race, which is roughly about ten, ten thirty of a, a of a night time. Um, you've been up since two thirty, three o'clock. You've been at work since you know three, four o'clock. Um, then you go to the you do your stable work or your track work. Um, you you might have a bit of a couple of hours during the day, or um, and then go back and do your afternoon work, then go to the races of a night time. And then you finish, by the time the race is finished, you're not allowed to leave the track until half an hour after your race for horse welfare. Um, and then you get home, depending on where you're stabled, if you're down in Mornington or, or over the other side of town in Ballarat or, or the like, then you know there's a couple of hours to get home. By the time you put the horse away, put its rug on, give it its feed, all, the, all those welfare things, and then by the time you get home, it's probably 12... 12.30, 1 o'clock, you've got to unwind, and then 2.30, you're getting up to do it all again. No, no, None of this eight-hour break, which uh, under OH&S would be a guaranteed um, paid break. Um, the industry really, really uh, thrives on exploiting the, the stable workers and saying, well, you know, um, you're casual, so you better turn up or you don't get paid. Is mental health an issue in the industry? Another, absolutely. 
absolutely. The burnout for stable staff is uh, um, is high. Um, the casualisation of the industry is also um, one of the one of the you know um, Liberal government's remnants in in the industry where you know they they make the industry make all the staff casual. Um, so therefore, all the all the uh, full time conditions of you know your your breaks, your holiday pay, your sick leave, and all that doesn't come into it. They get a higher rate of pay, um, and uh, you know people then start to need to depend on that higher rate of pay, um, so they don't they don't uh, they can't then go on to full time work or, or whatever. Um, I try to explain to a lot of people that the full time wages and the and the benefits outweigh. The, the, the higher rate of casual wages. However, um, being that it's a non-unionised industry, it's very hard to... And, and the stable staff do it for the love of the horses, not because it's a job. They do it because they love horses. Um, it's very hard for them to, to see and understand um, how and why uh, a full-time job, as opposed to being casual and getting the extra cash in their pocket, um, is better. Yeah, that's why they get away with it. That's how they get away with it. See, under the under the award, I'd love to be able to be to, to, to bring in certified agreements with with every single trainer. However, there's two and a half thousand trainers just in Victoria, you know. So, or or, or similar to that number, um, you know, dotted around the state. So, and you know, dare I say, I wonder who are the people who own the horses? Well, <laughs> in, in in essence, a lot of the trainers have shares in the horses um, and therefore um, they're sort of, uh, you know, trainers, the big trainers have lots of big owners and, and, and the like, but a lot of the little trainers, they they buy horses um, on spec and they've got to try and sell um, sell the shares or sell off all the ho- all the shares in a horse so that they can be getting paid their training fees so then they can pay the wages. It is a cycle, it is a, it's a a hard cycle however you know it's like any small business if you're in small business you've got to be able to follow award conditions and a business plan if you can't do that then you shouldn't be in business so therefore just because you know horses doesn't mean that you can be a small business trainer and with the stable workers movement and yourself now organizing the stable hands could you see the day when the stable hands take industrial action to win better wages and conditions um, it, 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 it's hard, Marcus, because, as I said, the industry in itself is, is, is struggles to be a unionised, organised industry as, as, as strong and as tough as um, a, a few of us can be. Um, unfortunately, one of the issues is getting, um, getting that unified approach um, because you start talking about, OK, we're going to, you know... Um, Given that we're all under, an, everybody is under an award. Um, you know, getting to the table to help negotiate that award um, is a is a uh, is tough. Um, the what we probably would 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 need would be strong um, uh, trades hall or, or uh, backing to try and help get us through those through those periods where we can get to the table and um, have an industry expert negotiate or sit down with uh, when when the awards start start becoming um, negotiated or modernised again, um, you know, having industry experts sit down instead of 
people that don't know and just, you know... They're doing so so you're saying education, education. So, education yeah. in the union movement it would be fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah, like any industry. It's like any industry. And it's know. a bit hand-to-mouth um, too. And so it's all very dangerous for people, isn't it? Well, well, it is. And, and the, 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 the biggest thing is getting somebody to, to be able to understand the, the, the machinations of, of racing and, and going, well, hang on, no, that doesn't seem right, and, and, and really start taking on, um, taking it to, a, to that next level. And, you know, we've got people that go to the ombudsman um, regularly because they know they're getting uh, uh, short-sheeted. However, you know, um, that doesn't flag enough with the ombudsman to, uh, to to do any investigations or go, well, no, this isn't right, we need to change something. Yeah, so, yeah, it has to be know, a tactic. It, Everyone has to do it. Exactly. It, it does need to be a, a, an all-in, um, a one-in-all-in tactic. On just one last point, the Australian Racing Hall of Fame, it contains millionaire owners and breeders, journalists, race callers, yet only one strapper, Tommy Woodcock. Farlap strap has been afforded such honour. Is that something you'd like to see change, to see more stable hands uh, recognised in the Hall of Fame? Of course we would. And, and you know, there's, there's, some, um, there's, there's people that have been in racing. Um, Marcus, I, I, I got into racing back in the mid-'80s. I left school and got into racing and, and was lucky enough to get out for, for, for 20-odd years. But, uh, you know, but there are people that are still in racing that were in when I first joined. And, you know, they're... There's, they're very good horse people and, um, you know, the recognition for stable hands or strappers um, is, is, is very, very limited. Um, it's taken, um, you know, this, this spring carnival, uh, and I'm hoping that it's, uh, if anybody sees a race book, that they can see that there's a strapper's name in the race book. Um, hopefully it's on the same page as the, the form. Um, however... Melbourne Racing Club put a list of strappers with the Group One, uh, with the Group One horses for their Caulfield Cup Carnival, which was a fantastic recognition. So, you know, the next step to that would be um, having, you know, on the form and the race book, the jockey, the trainer, and who the strapper is with that particular horse. So that's the next step. Um, you know, they do it a lot in, they do it for every race in the UK. Um, so there's no real reason why we can't be doing it here in Australia for every race. Um, and then that that helps helps create recognition for the stable hands and the strappers within the industry who are really the lifeblood of the industry. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Rob. Oh, thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, hopefully we've uh, enlightened everybody. And, and, look, if you're going to the Spring Carnival, and um, it's a great time of year, it's really good racing, got the best horses going around, but if you're going to the Spring Carnival, head down to the horse stalls, say hello to the strappers and tell them, Hey, listen, guys, we understand your plight. We're with you 100%, and we, good luck with your endeavours. Thanks, Rob. A weak solidarity, Bricky team listener, when congratulations to the... Uh, sorry, protectors of our freedoms for their precautionary, proactive policing policy stepping in, well, stomping in to prevent this blockade IMART from blockading IMART. Arresting, bashing, kicking, battening, practicing equine policing, the modern cavalry, and lots and lots of chemical warfare. Yes, um, what are the charges? We asked our regular police commentator, Senior Sergeant Bernie O'Pig. Uh, you know, like, you know, like, like, you know, protest. Uh, so protest is a crime, Bernie. Like, you know, like, like, you know, like, yes, like.
Whereas one of the great corporate resource spokespeople conceded protest is not a crime as long as it's totally ineffectual and has no impact whatever on whatever the long-haired, commie, greeny, wooden worker and iron lots are protesting about. Bernie, we decided to discuss a bit of Marxist philosophy with Bernie. It's argued that the structures of any society, government, education, the media, the law and the law enforcers, etc., exist to support the status quo, in this case, capitalism. That your lot and you exist to protect capitalism. Your, your thoughts? Uh, uh, like, like, you know, uh, like, uh? Well, thank you, Senior Sergeant O'Pig, for your insights. And while this station made regular crossings providing a, a patently biased view of the protesters' thuggery, we had a turn to the commercial news services and reliable sources like Lord Rupert of Wapping to be told the truth. Although it must have been extremely difficult to capture the long-haired commie lot's thuggery on camera, for although we were being told the truth, the violent protesters, the cameras were only able to capture the... Sorry, done it again. Forces of being seemingly violent toward the protesters, although presumably that was just fighting back in self-defence. As we were told, the numbers of poor injured constabulary and violent assaults on horses... I tell you what, there's a few, um, there's a few who ran last week. I'd like to attack violently, but anyway, and interesting that one telly reporter who told us one night how violent the protesters were and how controlled the police were. Then next day, after he got pushed around and attacked by the coppers himself, suddenly his coverage was a, a little different. For once, poor Lord Rupert would have had to agree with state big supremo, the pejorative Dan, who attacked the protesters' violence, great socialist solidarity Dan, as the top brass coppers said they had shown restraint, love to see their definition of out of control, restraint in line with training. Uh, so what is that training? Well, like, first, swing the batons, draw blood, Break a few bones, then having sharpened your boots when they're down, use the boots like, and then when they're trying to get up, like, hit them with capsicum. And <laughs> it's so funny to hear them screaming in pain like. Then prevent any medical person getting near them. <laughs> then run them down with the horses. <laughs> then drag what's left of them up and charge them with assaulting an officer of the law. <laughs> And we are trained to do all that with restraint. The great resource business leaders being protected by the forces of the, of the state explained how their industry was so important in lifting the world's poor out of poverty, as well as out of their villages, out of their homes, out of their environment, and they are free at some future time to return to the environmental mess which was their life, if the planet hasn't fried to death, showing how even more irresponsible those protesters are. On frying to death after years of the caring business class party and the great practitioners of neoliberal economics pleading for the Socialist Party to return to its 1980s, 90s working class roots, when former great and beloved Prime Minister Nuclear Hawk himself and the world's greatest worst ex-treasurer Paul transformed the true blue Aussie economy by making the public purse responsible for caring employers' costs of caring employing, realising that the Milton 
modern freed capital man inspired policies of US, of the UN, of the US, of the world, big supremo Ronnie Reagan, and Her Most Gracious Majesty's home country, big supremo Maggie Thatchtair, were spot on. And what finer role models than Maggie and Ronnie? that the road to socialism lay in defanging evil trade unions and demanding quite properly that if lazy avaricious workers wanted a massive crippling pay rise of say half to one percent then they had to sacrifice the odd crippling work practice won by the fangs of the pre-defanged evil unions over decades crippling practices like holidays weekends and nights off even ultra expensive safety measures and worse still, wages. Well, in a speech this week, the Socialist Party Supremo and would-be Big Supremo, Anthony All-Being-Uzi, revealed his latest campaign to destroy capitalism and fight for what's left of evil unions post-nuclear Hawke and Paul, and the lazy avaricious workers they represent. Like Nuclear Hawk himself and Paul, I understand that building the future means we must first and foremost be in the business of creating wealth. The Socialist Party is proudly and resolutely pro-growth, he told a caring business class gathering in Perth, and Anthony has this brilliant transition policy for workers in the coal industry. Renewables, I hear. Well, no, no, coal, coal. And more coal. See, with the forecast growth in world uh, in wind power, direct quote, no embellishment, True Blue Aussie could be exporting 15.5 million tonnes of coking coal to build these turbines. The road to a low carbon future can be paved with hundreds of thousands of clean energy jobs, as well as supporting traditional jobs, including coal mining. And to Frankie's business credentials, or sorry, sorry, socialist credentials, Anthony said the wealth generated by the business of creating wealth should be distributed fairly. And we can be sure his caring business class audience would have assured him it already is being distributed very, very fairly. All the workers for whom Anthony fights his guts out might say fairly ordinary. And just a reminder, Anthony's on the left. Showing bipartisan concern for the environment, the Minister for Something to Do with Something, Susan Lees and other detritus, expressed her concern for climate change endangering species, well those we haven't already rendered extinct since 1788, and said we must strike a balance between the environment, endangered species, and the interests of the caring business class. And we know what that means. So much for the endangered species and the non-endangered species like the great resource corporations. But no, she's serious. To emphasise what she means by balance, she appointed great corporate practitioner Graham Slamuel to lead an inquiry. He's the same bloke who led an inquiry into state health care for former big state supremo Jeff Footinmouth and recommended closing down almost every public health asset in the state. Goodbye, Prince Henry's Hospital.
The Modesty of the Week Award, as usual, in perpetuity, as we said last week, to USR Big Supremo Donald Trample the Poor. After declaring he had personally, well, as Commander-in-Chief, personally overseen the assassination of ISIS Big Supremo Abu Bakr al-Bag now deady, if indeed he is now deady, but after thanking Russia for allowing flights over or whatever, Russia said it didn't and had killed the same al-Bag now deady a couple of years ago. And Donald said this time he died, this time a coward, whimpering and crying and screaming. Worst whimpering and crying and screaming ever, ever. But the coward died, Donald also said, by detonating a suicide bomb. Not that there's ever any inconsistency in Donald's twits. Anyway, Donald, your Modesty of the Week Award, Perpetual Award, is on its way, and we look forward to next week's winner. Donald said the tradition that he gave one turkey a break at Thanksgiving uh, uh, and pointed out he'd already done it. I gave turkey all of northern Syria. Greatest give turkey ever, ever. And in an update from Her Most Gracious Majesty's home country, shock news of the week, Brexit has been delayed. We started with lawless criminals attacking progress. Well, misuse of the law, potential abuse of the law, the same lawless criminals' allies, the evil unions and lazy avaricious workers, are demanding huge fines and long jail terms for caring employers over the alleged, repeat, alleged underpayment of workers. Wage theft, the unions call it. What a travesty of justice, to coin a cliché, that would be. That assumes caring employers deliberately underpay workers, when not one, not one caring employer has ever deliberately underpaid a worker. It's all down to the difficulty understanding very complicated awards whose complication leads to underpayment 100%, overpayment 0%, emphasising even more just how complicated it is. Like ultra-expensive and caring business class important people with huge expense accounts favourite, indeed the social set generally's favourite, Neil Berry the wages rock pool of profits, very, very expensive restaurant chain, poor Neil who obviously would have no idea he owed his staff millions and millions of dollars. He, he's too busy keeping the corporate high flyers and social set generally happy. And the book's being altered to falsify the records, Neil. Totally inadvertent, totally inadvertent. As the sundry chambers of profits argued sensibly, criminalising breaches of workplace laws would set a disastrous precedent. They went for the smelling salts, spot on. Uh, what disaster, great corporate leaders. We could all end up in jail. Oh, perish the thought. Let's concentrate on real crime, like the criminals trying to prevent the great resource companies going about their business. Oh, and finally, 300 million in wage theft. That's why I pick on Woolies. Good morning. And good morning to you, Kevin. This is Annie and Marcus. G'day, Marcus. Yeah, g'day, Annie. Back again. Back. Um, that was a really neat interview with uh, Rob from the uh, Strappers uh, group. Uh, gives people an insight into what it's like to work in the uh, industry. Uh, as I promised, we're going to have the follow-up day to the police violence against IMAC uh, demonstrators. Uh, this happened on Wednesday afternoon. 
uh, I went there and uh, I chatted with some of the people that had been attacked by the police. The horse has been in every day. So even Monday, when we were just having talks and we were having a ceremony, like the smoke-out ceremony, um, they had police of all kinds. We had every, every possible flavour of cop. We had those on horses, on bikes, we had CRT... We had riot cops, yeah, the usual high-vis ones. They were on the river and the border police were here. Um, and it was just when people were registering and we were just peacefully demonstrating out the front. Even if you walked the perimeter of the building, the presence was huge. There was about a police officer for every single protester here, basically. Yeah. Um, Apparently there were 200 police, according to Mel's, the, uh, the legal observers. And they also said that uh, some of the police were hiding their uh, um, name tags. Yeah, that's what I believe as well. There's been, uh, I think a lot of the, uh, the riot police have um, been having their badges omitted from their shirts. Um, yeah, and it's just crazy. And that's all we know from outside. I don't know, I think a few people have maybe headed inside and checked out, but I believe there's more numbers inside as well. I don't even know what the private security are doing here at the moment. The police seem to be doing it all for them. And uh, the question at the end of the day, as always, is who puts the bill for this? This is a huge numbers of police uh, for protecting special interests here. And I know with previous events, like the Milo Giannopoulos tour and the likes, Milo had to front up the bill for the cost of the police presence there. Why doesn't somewhere like Imark and somewhere like uh, public loan infrastructure like the Melbourne Exhibition Centre have to front up the bill for hosting contentious meetings like this. This is the other side of the coin, I believe. If you want to host meetings and, and conferences that draws this kind of attention, draws this kind of, you know, um, confrontation, then you should be willing to foot the bill for it. The, uh, the idea that the um, mining lobby and these, uh, as you say, special interests can run workshops around sustainable mining mm. and things of that nature. Uh, and the implication that the people who are outside who are protesting against it need to be got rid of by the police. Yeah. And on the front of the Sun Herald this morning, it has pictures of uh, so-called violence. Yeah. And it said that 47 people were arrested and two cops were hurt. And I, I went away thinking, what, did they fall on their own sticks? Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I have not seen any, you know, physical antagonism from our end whatsoever. We've been loud and we've been vocal, for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's been completely one-sided from what I've seen. The police pushing our, our line constantly down these steps here, pushing their horses into us. We had a couple of horse injuries yesterday. One person um, had their leg fractured, I believe, from the horse. Another person had their ankle trod on. Um, we were noticing that the horses were spooked by the big blow-up blow globe, and the police were notified of this, and they refused to do anything about it. Um, so just deliberate antagonism from the police, particularly today when folks were peacefully moving on to take a break and then the police stormed us um, just to have the upper hand at the end of the day. On Wednesday? Today, today. Today, yeah. So I think they felt frustrated that we've been able to hold the space so well the last two days, had all this pent-up anger, and just as we're moving on, they come in and just, yeah, 
So they've been getting, given instructions and you're talking about the space in front of, the public space in front overhanging the uh, front steps of the convention centre. Yeah. So now they're all lined up and they've got uh, orange ba barricades yeah. to allow no one in that way. Yeah, well I think attendees are still uh, free to trans, you know, get in and out of the building but yeah they I think they slotted those up um, after they moved you know yeah. what sort of personal toll has it uh, had I mean I was at something uh, last year and I was forcibly pushed over and I had a broken arm yeah. for no I was actually just standing there yeah. literally standing there now I've, that my arm still hurts and so it has these repercussions personally totally. how do you feel today uh, it's been confronting. This is some of the most hostile police behaviour I've seen in years. I've been along uh, to a lot of the uh, rallies against the fascists, against the United Patriots Front and the like, and I've seen some pretty terrible behaviour by police then. I've been up in Queensland at the Adani blockade the last three, four months, and everyone warns me when you go up to Queensland, the state of the police state in Queensland and the behaviour of Queensland police. I've been treated considerably better by Queensland police up there than the, the, how I've been treated by Victoria Police and how we've been treated by Victoria Police the last couple of days. Queensland Police have been able to, you know, go through the process and everything, but it's just numbers. Once they get in numbers like this, it's mob mentality with them, really. They just, yeah, all go in it together and, yeah, it's been a disgrace, absolutely disgraceful. Makes a mockery of their, of their liaison work. We, we have no trust in Victoria Police now to con continue negotiating with any of them. Uh, not when there's behaviour like today's. It's absolutely disgraceful. So what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow we'll be back. We'll be back. Uh, as long as this conference is going, we'll be back. We're going to be blockading again. Um, we'll be getting up early, um, making our presence known. People may get in and out of this building, but they won't get in and out knowing uh, and feeling like they can pat themselves on the back and feeling like they're part of a wonderful industry. I think they know uh, what their industry is responsible for, which is absolute catastrophic climate change, uh, the dispossession of land from Indigenous peoples and, and blood on their hands, you know? Yeah. You basically just use chemical warfare on innocent protesters. You know, pepper spray is a nasty thing. I'm sure a lot of you got oversprayed. Did any of you get sprayed in the face for a couple of minutes while you were hung, uh, attached to a pole after dropping a banner in a peaceful protest? Did any of you do that? Can any of you imagine what that would be like while you're not armed? You all have guns, you all have tasers, you all have training, and you're all not in control of your actions, and we're all very scared of that. It's scary to come up against a human that has no control over their actions, and that's what it means to be in a hierarchical organisation like the police force. And obviously you're not going to change, change now, you need to keep your jobs, you've probably got families. Just don't encourage your kids to join the police force as well. Because they might end up in the same situation as you folks. What happened today? You know? I mean, is there any... There, I hope there's a process for you to complain to, to the people above you. I know you're not all, not, not all in the top of the police force and you're from different um, stations and things like that. But if you do try and complain, or if one of the public tries to complain, you actually just complain to the police force itself. There's no independent commission for the police force. So what does that really mean for, for you as individuals, as humans, behind the uniform when you go home? What does that mean when, you, when you're wearing the uniform? In terms of 
how, how you actually get to have a choice over what you're doing. There's a lot of differences between the people on this side of the barricade and the people on that side of the barricade. And I don't even know if I can use the word people, because to be honest, when you got that uniform on, all the humanity's lost in you. You don't even have a choice over your actions anymore. You don't even have a choice about the way you stand, about the way you talk, about who you can talk to. Some of the officers who I tried to talk to wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't even tell me their, their badge number, which, is, which, which they're legally supposed to do. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to have a yarn here, obviously yarning to myself, but I hope you're listening. Because you're, you're probably going to be back here tomorrow. And yeah, it's great. You get paid, you get paid bonus time because it's a protest. You get, paid, you get paid double. That's great, and I'm glad that the, the police union has earned you that. But to be honest, I think the police union has, has to have a good think about whether it, whether it should be there at all. Police have a great history of clamping down on union movements. And this protest here has been, has been backed by Trades Hall. So if you're part of the police union, let's have a think about that. Because the unions are about fighting back against corporations, against their bosses, about workers having a say. And right now you're here protecting the biggest corporations in the world. Maybe you don't give a shit about unions, so I'm probably talking to the wrong people. But I think you do. I think you know what it's like to work. Just try and get a job where you actually have a say in what you're doing and where you're not unleashing chemical warfare amongst innocent people who are unarmed. Right now we've got a dilemma. We've got about 10 kilos of, of uh, pepper spray in, in, um, in bags that our volunteers have decontaminated off people's eyes, people's skin, people's hair. We don't know what to do with it. We can't put it in the bin because it's chemicals. So we want to give it back to you. Can one of your commanders come, come forward and accept that we, that, to, to take that responsibility on board, that we can at least return what you've given to us? We've bagged it up, it's not going to hurt you. We're not spraying you in the eyes with it. Anything? Wait, I forgot, the difference between us and you is that we try to do things together. And we actually fucked up today. Because when we all left, a few people decided that the protest was over. We should have made a better decision. We should have done things by consensus and made sure that everyone was okay with that. And we can work on that. But you guys can't. Not while you're wearing that uniform. You're literally at the hands of the people above you. And yeah, you've got your training. And yeah, they've told you that it's all for the right cause. But I mean, really, sit back and reflect. Go and watch the videos from today. Look where you are. Learn about the companies that you're protecting. Learn about Oceana Gold. The gold mine in the Philippines is shut down by workers and the local government for human rights and environmental destruction, uh, destructive practices. Oceana Gold, yesterday, ran a, a, a forum on responsible mining practices and the future of gold mining, because the gold mine that is shut down, uh, the, the mine that's shut down is a gold mine. So these are the types of companies that you're, you're protecting. And, and you know, go and just have a Wikipedia. Don't, you're not going to take my word for it because you see me as a protester, right? But you realize that all of us, you know, a lot of us have jobs and a lot of us put a lot of work into being here. It's not easy, okay? We're not just, some, we're not just bums. We do research and, and learn about the companies that are at these, at these conferences. So go and do your own research. Go and do your own research about your own actions. 
because they're having real impacts on people. They've really traumatized people. And they've really turned a lot of people against you. You've, you've successfully radicalized a large, large number of people in the last few days. Does anyone else want to say anything? Just on, just on the chemical warfare stuff. What do we do with them? What are we going to do with our bags there? Can we bring it up? If we bring it up, are we going to spray us again? Are we going to have to bag it up again? Are our volunteers going to have to decontaminate each other? With all the equipment we've bought? Or are you going to come and steal our equipment like you have been doing? No sh It's disgusting. It's a disgusting day. It's a sad day. It's a sad day in Australia's protest history. Now, um, we had more, but uh, fascinating stuff. That was a young fella, and uh, he and a young woman were sitting on the steps and directing those comments to the police who were uh, lining up uh, behind orange uh, barricades to protect the steps of uh, Melbourne Convention Centre from any insinuation of political correctness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in some way or other. But uh, before we move on to our last report, I have to give you an account given by a person that was there and attacked. Now, Jill has sent this. Uh, now, if you may know Jill. Jill is actually quite a small person, um, and she's sharing this account just in case someone might form a view from the mainstream media that a bunch of rag bags deserve the hiding that was delivered during the blockade IMARC. So many of you will have seen some of the disgusting behaviour of the Victorian police during the protests against the International Mining and Resources Conference, IMARC. Well, here is a video, and she puts a video up. Allow me to explain. I was part of the protest in a support role. I was primarily doing first aid, cleaning pepper spray off people attending to injuries and other more basic stuff like handing out sunscreen and water to make sure everyone was okay. I was always wearing a grey beanie which can be seen bobbing around in the crowd in the video as well as a black scarf covering my face. The incident in the video occurred when my buddy and I was had been handing out some water and sunscreen in a different part of the action and were returning to the first aid area where sudden, when suddenly the police started pushing and shoving people in the blockade. Unfortunately, we got caught up in the chaos. Trying to avoid falling over, I stood my ground. Suddenly, I got snatched by a group of cops trying to throw me to the ground. I tried to stop my head from hitting the concrete as they screamed, stop resisting, at me over and over. I didn't realise that wanting to protect my head from a brain injury was resisting, but there you go. I was thrown to the ground and punched repeatedly while restraining my five or more... while restrained by five or more police officers, clearly visible on this video. I saw drops of blood that I thought were my own, but later found out had come from the bloody nose of one of the officers who alleges that I elbowed them. For the record, I didn't, and I don't even remember feeling something hitting my elbow. But I think that as I was being thrown to the ground, they got hit amongst all the chaos. I was then zip-tied and carted inside. I have been charged with obstructing an emergency worker and assaulting an emergency worker, both charges of which I intend to fight. 
Firstly, I am okay. Physically, I only have minor grazes from being shoved into the concrete and having left anything from the pu- haven't felt anything from the punches. Maybe all those years of lifting have paid off, and my organs are well protected. Maybe a cop trying to feel like a big man and impress Daddy uh, BHP because he never got the approval of his actual father can't punch very well. I don't know. Mentally and emotionally, I have been hit a bit rattled and anxious and have had trouble sleeping, but I will manage it with the help of friends, family and professionals. Secondly, the behaviour shown here by the officers was actually just absolutely disgusting. This is a blatant use of excessive force. Many people throughout the week were covering their badges, including allegedly their officers, not wanting to be held accountable for their brutal actions. They claimed to serve and protect, but all I saw all week was violence. The only people they were protecting were mining billionaires who want to do nothing but make as much money as possible, even if it means stealing indigenous lands, exploiting workers, busting unions or burning the planet to the ground in a climate apocalypse. These officers were gleefully violent to protect that. They weren't protecting and serving our community. They were itching for a fight, even if it meant selling off their future, their children's future, the futures of countless Indigenous communities and everyone around the world. So there you go. That's our report on IMARC. Hi, Kerry Lee Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I'd always represent... There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio, along with music, food and, of course, free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to late 30. See you there. Music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded And as I said, on our last piece of time on um, Solidarity Breakfast, uh, there's going to be a public forum today, Think Global, Act Local in the Willis Room, Whitehorse Civic Centre, 379 to 397 Whitehorse Road in Nutterwadding. And I had a yarn with uh, George, who is uh, George Alex Alexandru, who is one of the organisers. Hello, George. Uh, can you tell me about the event that you've got coming up today? Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, Think Global, Act Local uh, is a public forum. So there'll be four speakers and then there'll be plenty of time for um, feedback and, and, you know, questions from the audience. And uh, so it's a, it's a local thing uh, in Ngunnawadding. Uh, What's the focus of the uh, forum? Uh, it's uh, just community issues that affect the community. So, um, I mean, the speakers are... Uh, like an Indigenous speaker uh, about Aboriginal rights and stuff. And, and we've got um, a couple of public housing or public interest groups, you know, for uh, public assets to keep in public hands. And uh, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union also going to uh, be featured there as well. Uh, um, and 
hopefully it's to get people together that live out in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne and hear about other things that are happening out there or things that we could maybe get off the ground that we don't know about. So it's as much networking as it is uh, uh, anything else. Yeah, just, just putting the feelers out to see, yeah. How did you get involved in this? Uh, oh, you know, I'm sort of a channel switch on radio, so I hear, listen to 3CR, I'll listen to this or listen to that, depending on you know, if I want to listen to music or if I want to listen to you know, um, chat. chat or whatever, um, or talk back, you know, it just depends. Um, but I've been hearing about a lot of, community action groups around Melbourne like the the one I've been hearing about recently a lot is the um with the the waste dumps especially out in the western suburbs yeah where it's uh it's just like a you know like an explosion waiting to happen sort of like the Coot Island that happened and and more recent events and uh and all these other things that are happening around Melbourne uh I just hear snippets about them so I just wanted to sort of sort of get something going out in the uh, southeast. So you thought that uh, actually that uh, in your local community that uh, there, there are a lot of issues and uh, you wanted to be able to grapple with them and also have an effect on them? Uh, exactly, and know about them. Uh, uh, the, uh, Ngunnawading is in the city of Knox, and uh, usually when I pick up the local, local paper, it's um, just real estate ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Houses for sale. I mean, as if, as if nothing else happens nothing in your Nothing else happens. Yeah. And maybe, you know, one, one, one article about, you know, some local cricket club won a, won a game or something. Other than that, yeah, just ads. Uh, I know like that, on our program, we actually spoke to some people who were trying to save Lake Knox. Yeah, which I was just going to say, that's sort of the next suburb out, uh, or uh, district, or like council, yeah, mm, City yeah. of Knox, it's sort of uh, adjacent to the City of Whitehorse, and there's a, so, and just, not just Lake Knox, but there's a lot of other things that are happening in Knox, uh, like the, um, trying to get the uh, the climate action um, recognised thing from the, from the council, like a few other councils in Melbourne have sort of uh, adopted it, or... Seen it as a climate emergency. Yeah, yeah, at least got speaking about it. So, uh, you know, they're doing lots of those things in Knox. And I'm sure there's stuff happening in the city of Whitehorse, but I haven't heard about it or I just haven't met people that are doing things. So hopefully this will be a way of uh, people coming in and saying, hey, you know, I'm here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is what I'm up up with or what I'm up to to and... uh, it's good to see that you know you, you're here as well, and uh, and 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 maybe get something going. Yeah. Because so, so, interestingly enough, I, 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 you're a baker, so mm. you're a hardworking man who's doing stuff, and you obviously get up pretty early, and you've got interesting shift times and all the rest of it. So this gives you a chance to actually meet people at a designed event for political awareness. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm usually sleeping in the day or afternoons or mornings. Um, five days a week, yeah. Uh, so this this one's, uh, uh, you know, it's a good timing. I'll go, I'll run home on uh, today. Oh, like you know, I ran home this, this morning. Mm. Uh, you know, have a shower and then, and um, you know, race off to the the forum and yeah. uh, you know, hit, listen to some really good speakers and 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 also afterwards uh, the feedback from from participants as well. That's just I'm there for that as much as to hear the. You know the the speakers. So uh, tell us the time. Oh, the time. So it's uh, it's today, uh, midday to four p.m. 
uh, it's in the Willis Room, which is the White Horse Civic Centre on... Um, uh, some White people Horse know it as Whitehorse Road. Some people know it as Maroondah Highway. But technically, it's Whitehorse Road. But they're both the same road. Uh, it's walking distance from Nunawading Train Station. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah. And they can it's get free. a cup of tea. Yeah, there'll be uh, sort of tea and coffee and there's a hot urn there. Um, uh, that's yeah. a great thing to do on a on a uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, anyone that's you know not getting sloshed at the horse races, uh, yeah, want something to something to do, they can pop down a, yeah, yeah, or go to the horse racing afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, George. Thanks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.